Welcome to Recommissioned, a bi-weekly podcast where we go back to watch Battlestar Galactica. Each week, I'm joined by my good pal Matt, who has only seen the episodes up to the one we're covering. Now, I've seen them all. And on this week's episode, we go to Season 3, Episode 16, Dirty Hands. This is the Admiral. Arrest Kelly Turrell. Take her under our own guard. Directly to the starboard repair bay. Repair bay, what are you doing? I'm gonna put her up against the bulkhead and I'm gonna shoot her as a mutineer. Are you out of your fracking mind? Kelly was just following my orders. She's a ringleader, so she goes first. Then the rest of your dick gang. Figursky, Selix, Pollux. All right, Matthew, we're back for some dirty hands. And if I said to you, Matthew, Mm -hmm. do you think it's going to be a stretch for Nikki Klein to get in the headspace of Callie, which would be to succumb to the musings of a charismatic manipulator? (laughs) (laughs) You know, like a cult leader? If I told you that was going to happen, would you say that that's a stretch? Or would you say, no, no, that's probably going to happen. There's a kernel of uh, believability there, I think. It's almost like she has some experience with it. (laughs) Same (laughs) thing. We we dog on her so hard. I I mean, she's in prison, Dean. Isn't it enough? Is she? No, she's not in prison. Is she not? I thought she went to jail. Her wife's in prison, I think. Oh, is it? Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so she got off scot-free? I probably. I don't fucking know. <laughs> Look it up. Google it. Nikki Klein, BSG, cult. You'll find it. Ah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> man. But uh, so dirty hands. <clears throat> hey, real, real quick, Matt. Still no guy is Baltar trial in sight. No, indeed. However, I'm less bothered by that fact in this episode because I actually feel like, in, in, weirdly because enough, they in show episode, him? What's that? Because they actually show Gaius? Well, they do actually show him. We finally get to see a, a glimpse of where he's at right now in his head space and what's going on, which I've much appreciated. But I also feel like, in one sense, unlike other aspects of this episode we'll get to, I feel like I can get the feeling that they're laying some groundwork for how the trial is going to go. Like, where our, where our players are at and what Gaius's strategy is at. I'm like, okay, I kind of see where this might be going as far as a public facing trial for for Gaius uh, is going and how he's you know, trying to get a little more of a public image out there among ah, the people. So I'm like, not, okay. So you see I, he's not stupid. He is definitely not stupid. Our boy Gaius ain't stupid. You can hate him all you want, Taylor, but he's not stupid. Jesus Christ, will, you ta- will we leave Taylor alone? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he is he has self-nominated himself as the, the president of the Gaius Baltar hating union. No, that's true. He's going to go on strike until we stop praising him. <laughs> exactly. No more positive words. Taylor, about Baltar. Why, why did you throw these giant wrenches into the machine of LSG? Because I demand justice. <laughs> I want the head of Baltar. <laughs> That's awesome. But no, I this this was a this is a pretty strong episode, man. I'm I'm digging it, and it has kind of a similar feeling in some ways to the uh, our our boy Hilo in the Woman King episode. Kind of the our characters stuck in the middle and having to to kind of navigate both sides of a pretty thorny issue um and it's pretty straightforward in that way and i dig it i do uh, like it you know i'm glad you brought up the woman king matthew because here i am sitting here watching this episode and i'm thinking boy Hilo must be thinking to himself god i'm glad Tyrrell stepped up on this one for a change because i don't have to be the fucking bad guy <laughs> for once for, for once, once i can just relax and not be the one that everyone in the fleet hates because i'm trying to do <laughs> what i think is the right move seriously <laughs> fucking take some heat off me and my cylon wife god damn mm. 
But yes, here we are. Uh, I, you know, another, there is one aspect of this, of this uh, episode that I feel like has had a little groundwork laid for it also, kind of in The Woman King and, and around that, of getting into this whole structure of the colonies and the different colonies and kind of seeing that, oh, it's not just 12 different colonies and we all work together. There is a little bit of class structure kind of going on. There's the, the, the lower end and there's the higher end. We're starting to realize how much like Caprica is the fucking Hollywood of, the, of this whole society, the, the cosmopolitan one and starting to see the, some of the differences. And I feel like if this, if this shit had only arrived in this episode, I'd be like, you are throwing out way too much. This is way too much going on. But sure. they have kind of started to allude to this over the past couple of episodes. It's starting to, to make itself clear, these, these kind of divisions in their society that didn't just go away after the attack. Um, so I think that, that's interesting. I, I, in other fronts, I feel like there are, are moments where I'm like, I'm not sure we've had enough groundwork for all of this here and there like ah, start, this is kind of a seems a little too new in moments um that we'll get to but uh overall man i did enjoy the share of this episode and i enjoyed it being a chief centric episode sure so it's funny i'm glad you said divisions uh i wrote divisions have a face now right because one thing right. we've done in this show in the past while talking about it while thinking about it is we've always arrived at this conclusion that the that especially when Ty is involved, which is shocking that he's not involved in this type of episode, because this is right up his alley. This is the stuff with with Adama and the threatening of Chief and the put him up against the wall and the threats of execution, etc. You would you would you would that would just roll out of the mouth of Colonel Ty. Oh yeah, um, and I think having Adama do it is smart from a writing standpoint because it, it changes the message regardless of what we think. A lot of times the message is what matters. A lot of times the message matters less to P I'm not saying this is right. I'm just saying this is true. A lot of the times and that sometimes the message matters less than the person delivering it. Right. Yeah. You know, if you take somebody who, if you use the aforementioned Taylor, even if you had a solid argument from somebody like Baltar about something, it's still going to be a hurdle for Taylor to get over. And I'm, and I'm not saying that to beat him up. That's just a good, a good fresh example, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that's the same thing in politics. We all do it. The chances of me listening to, you know, uh, socialists about some type of thing is going to, I'm already on guard. Because because right. your ideology to me is is incorrect as far as I can see, so I'm I already know that I'm fighting against my own bias towards you as a person, which is not correct. Because at the end of the day, the argument should matter more than the person delivering the argument. Right? The facts are the facts. A well presented argument is a well presented argument, uh, and this is why politics is so ludicrous to me because it doesn't matter about any of that. So much of it is a cult of personality. Um, and, and I guess what I'm trying to say is that <clears throat> once upon a time when a guy like Colonel Ty would ca- talk about civvies and there was a water strike and they didn't get it and things got ugly, we didn't really care because we were on the side of the brass. We didn't see these people except for maybe a dust up and there's a, a little ride or something like that, but they didn't have a personality that we knew. Right. Right, so we didn't care as much about that. But now I wrote down divisions have a face, and that's kind of what this episode does, which is neat. Is we're seeing a division within the fleet that's over something that is not a Cylon, and that's kind of interesting. Um, so I do like seeing that. 
Uh, there is a lot to unpack here in terms of colonial structure, which we I put I put I wrote down colonial structure slash classism question mark. Um, there's right. a military structure in place. This is a military fleet. Um, we are under the impression we have a civilian government. So if there is a civilian government, that means that certain laws must be obeyed if we are to believe that this is going to be a functioning civilian government. Um, there is a missed opportunity here for Colonel Ty, and I think there's a missed opportunity for Lee. Now, Lee's kind of been in the doghouse with me lately because of all of his shit with D. But Lee, <laughs> this interest in law, I think would have been really interesting to have him in this episode. And I think it's kind of a missed opportunity. I understand we're focusing on Tyrrell. I understand that it's a smaller scale thing, but I, I think they're, I, I think it's a tiny bit of a missed opportunity. It doesn't take away from the episode for me at all. I'm just sort of thinking about this now as we talk. But I think that this type of stuff is interesting because you have a vo- a voluntary military structure, which is you volunteered for your military duty. You volunteer. You held up your hand. You took an oath. You said that I swear to uphold whatever colonial constitution happens to be, whatever they call it, the Articles of the Federation or whatever the fuck they call it. That's what they call it in Star Trek. Whatever they call it in the Battlestar Galactica universe, you voluntarily said, I am here and I will uphold the the principles and the tenets of this philosophy to the best of my ability, death before dishonor, right? Uh, the whole nine right. yards. The whole thing. And then you have the civilian aspect of this. Now, the civilians do not have that same responsibility. And that's where this thing becomes uh, really tricky because it's messy because you don't have this clear delineation of where does the individual's rights begin, and I, which I guess would be, how, how, where are you drawing the line between military responsibility and civilians' individual rights? And it becomes right. a very interesting and very muddy situation with dirty hands. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think there's a lot to talk about here. I think it's I think it's pretty interesting. I do like this episode. I enjoyed it. Um, it's definitely been... It's definitely a step above what we've seen as of late. I did like Hilo. I did like the Woman King episode, but I think we're, it, it was, I liked it, I guess is what I'm saying. It was enjoyable to me. Um, <laughs> yeah. There are moments where I get really frustrated with some of these stances, especially Rosalind. Um, yeah. So Can't I want to talk about that. that. You know, I know, um, I know you've been a staunch supporter of Rosalind for a long time. I'm, I'm hot and cold with Rosalind. Mm-hmm. Admittedly, yeah. I like her, and then I don't, and then I like her, and then I don't, and um, and I I'm I pretty much always like Villadama, and um, I I always enjoy, I guess is a good way to say it, Baltar's presence in the show. I always think he adds a he adds an interesting layer of storytelling that just doesn't exist without him as a character, which is oh, why absolutely. I am such a fan of his presence in the show. Um, he so, has yeah. become the most like straight up, and it's not the, the you know the totality of his character, but he is like the definition of a foil to fucking Rosalind at this point. He is the only character who gets under her skin. Like sure. she fucking she gets emotional and irrational and vindictive with him, and whereas the rest of the time, even with shit, I feel like she doesn't agree with or has problems with. She can kind of maintain a, a, at least a. Uh, the logical neutrality of like, all right, let's try and like, I'm going to try and understand this and try to figure it out with him. She's just like, fuck him. Like you can tell she's just barely holding that back. Like, oh, I just hate him. I just hate seeing him. Right. I'm like, Ooh, interesting. That really, you've got a Achilles heel with him. 
Right, and it's a it's a it's a source of weakness for Rosalind for sure. Mm-hmm. One that he will happily exploit. Oh, indeed, <laughs> happily. So yeah, man, there's a lot going here with all that. There's a lot. There's a lot to talk about, and I am uh, I am interested to to sort of apply some of my own ideas to the way I think this go, goes down to, to think about it as well as I can from the perspective of what it might be like to be on the Galactica. And I'm really curious as to what you think and, uh, and how you feel about all this stuff. So yeah, yeah. man, I, uh, I say, we, I say we sort of, sort of dive in. Indeed. Well, straight into the fucking knuckle draggers, man. Start out. We got, we got some more like some fucking twangy guitar music going on here. This is the blue collar shit. I, I love these guys. <laughs> <laughs> I just love the stark difference of this episode. Like, bang, 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 down. We're in the fucking crew hall, working hard, <laughs> greasy, dirty, busting ass. And I'm like, it's a, it's slightly corny, but I'm also like, I do like it. Like, I'm like, I'm kind of glad to see another episode like stuck down with these dudes and Chief and the shit they're dealing with. Because yeah. again, like this episode hammers home, they are kind of the linchpin of the Galactica. Like, none of the pilots can do anything they can do without these guys running a very clean ship. Uh, sure. And the Chief doing a great job of it. And we see him working. He's back in it. It's funny, you know. You just sort of conjured, you, you've sparkled my imagination. Sparked would be a better way to say it. Because you're sitting <laughs> here talking about this this kind of twangy, firefly sort of blue-collar sound as all these guys are working their balls off. And it's funny because, you know, it's it's pretty blue-collar around where I live. I, I come from that type of family, of course. And um, I. Uh, <laughs> what's funny about that, though, is the the difference between you know, the difference between what you see as, quote, blue collar in the Battlestar Galactica universe and blue collar, say, in Massachusetts is that so many blue collar guys, especially guys in their 40s, 50s, 60s, they got money because they oh, get paid yeah. a lot of money and they work very, very hard, you know? Yeah. My father started out with very little money and now he's done very well for himself because of his blue collar skill set and because of the demand for that type of work because of his desire to flip houses and buy houses that were all burned up and, you know, put time and money on the weekends and fix them up and flip them and all that bullshit. Right. So when you're sitting here talking about, it, I'm thinking about the way blue collars presented in this universe, which is almost like this Soviet way, which is like, where are these workers who have nothing? And then when I think about blue collar people in Massachusetts and not all of them, mind you, because there are plenty of that struggle, um, there are plenty of blue collar workers that work in factories that don't make dick. And then there are guys who have, who, who build houses who make a lot more money, but it's like, dude, in my neighborhood, if you throw a rock in the air, you're probably going to hit a fucking Silverado. <laughs> Everybody has like a $40,000 truck with like a toolbox in the back. <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. Giant, super expensive work truck. Everybody that drives by fucking Silverado, Silverado, Silver, Ford F-150, Silverado, Ford F-150, all these fucking <laughs> Dodge Ram, all these super expensive giant pickup trucks because obviously they, they buy them and you know, they, they tell themselves it's kind of like when we're like, yeah, we're going to get sure SM7Bs. Like, yeah, they're for work, but we're going to get the good shit, right? <laughs> if I'm going to fucking drink champagne, it's going to taste good, right? Come yeah, on. right? If we're going to fucking put the work in, we're going to get the good shit. But uh, <laughs> not so much on the Galactic, I'm afraid, Matthew. You get the impression that that's not the case. Uh, you get the impression that there's little, very little voluntary um, things like that going on in this episode. So it's all interesting right. to me. 
I mean, I do feel like, well, the only thing I'll disagree with that is that I feel like you, it kind of presents you with that with the, you know, with uh, Chief and all of his, all of his guys working on the deck and the hangars. But at the same time, I feel like what it kind of reveals when you go over to the fuel ship of like, oh, you guys, by comparison to them, are like actually like pretty middle class. Like you're you're doing okay, like over there. Like, yeah, it's definitely the hardest, you know, fucking job probably on Galactica. But the hardest job on Galactica is a fucking breeze compared to the uh, the Tilium refinery, right? Um, right, and that's that's kind of like it's almost a reveal because we've never seen that until now. Sure, that's kind of where the disconnect hits for me. Which is, mm. I understand the revolt from the Tillium workers. I don't understand it from the deck gang. Right. 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 For They're, me, I think that's more of like a solidarity thing with, with Chief himself. Right. Um, I think is what it is. It is. Because I'm like, you guys can't really command. be protesting your conditions. Like, come on. Like, you it, still get to go home. It, it has a, <laughs> it, but, like, but it rests under his command. So it's not like they just right. did it, you know? No, definitely not. Yeah. And that's like. That's the one thing I don't sympathize. Like I sympathize way more with the Telenium workers than I do with the with the military guys, and I think that's because the military guys entered into this thing willingly. You know, they that too. Yeah, and, and obviously circumstances have changed, and sadly, in this particular situation, you can't have a perfect. You cannot have a blank canvas to have the 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 Shangri La of ethics. Right? It's it's going to be right. muddy, and things are going to be a little bit weird, and there's going to be some compromise here and there to ensure survival because you're, you're all threatened. Um, despite the Cylons being quiet for a while, there's always that threat and fuel is the lifeblood of the human race. Right. Right. That's, that's one of the most interesting things about this episode. I can't wait to kind of dive into as we go through a lot of the scenes, because I mean, there is this, there is this whole idea of, okay, well, if this is the way life is now, like, you know, the, the, the fleet, with Galactica at the head of it, and we're all, you know, doing our jobs, doing these positions, and for all we know, kind of like what Chief brings up later on, like, are we going to be on here for another five years, ten years, more? Like, is this just life now? And if that's the case, well, yeah, we need to start kind of some, addressing some things. You know, certain certain ways of life that we have right now are fucking untenable. You can't just live this way forever. We'll be crushed to death. But at the same time, this can't ever be just the way life is because they are un- under constant threat. And like, that is not normal conditions for like, okay, well now let's pause and think about how society should be. And let's rearrange Like, no, like you, you kind of can't, like you are actually still under direct, immediate possible attack at any time. Uh, so that like that, those, those concerns are kind of like dueling each other in this episode. Sure. So let's start with those concerns. Cause they happen right at the beginning on this, uh, on this opening, as you said, where we go right into our blue-collar, twangy deck crew. Oh, yeah. Talk to me about what's going on here with Celix. Oh, yeah. Our girl Celix rolls up and pretty much giving them bad news, or at least for herself, of like, oh, well, I failed my, my interview. They didn't want me. I'm not going to be a Viper pilot because evidently that's what she had been applied for. Felt, you know, aced the test, got the interview, and just didn't get the job because they need her in her current role, doing important work down here on the hangar. Right. Severe mission degradation. They can't afford to change the role. Correct. Is what they say. Now, what I don't understand, so, so there's some of this stuff where I understand the emotion they're trying to invoke, correct? But I yeah. also need to get there sort of logically. Right. Does that make sense? This is this is how this is how I break down storytelling kind of 101. Like I understand what we want to accomplish here and the type of emotion we want to elicit from the audience. 
And then there's the, can we make that work logically? Right. And then when I start to, (laughs) right. When I, exactly. And then when I start to sort of cross examine it in my head or or break it down on the witness stand in my head, I start to (laughs) see the holes and I think to myself, okay, so why would they even set it up to take the test if they knew that they were going to be understaffed for this whole thing? That's a tiny right. nitpick. But then at the same time, I think, okay, I'm pretty sure Celix is a lieutenant, right? I, well, I think he promotes her at the end of the episode, right? Because he's like, you have to be an officer to be a pilot. Right, and which I'm not they, sure how he her. can do because he can't promote, he can't, he can't promote I, Officers. I was wondering about that too. I was like, can he promote someone to an officer? I don't think he <laughs> can because he do, he's, right? he's a non-com. I mean, he can pin the thing on your fucking chest right? and he can salute <laughs> you, but it's not his call. And maybe that happened behind the scenes. It doesn't really matter. That's also nitpicky. It's possible he got the okay from the XO to go <laughs> ahead and, you know, the X, he probably would report to Ty in this case. And he was like, yeah, go ahead, get rid of the wing. You know, <laughs> fine, fine. Do what you got to do, Chief. I'll sign off on it. Just don't tell the old man. Huh. <laughs> I don't think he would say that, but I think he. But but yeah, let's let's just let's let's sweep that in the rug. As he got the okay, he talked to somebody right. and they okayed it, and he was the one who performed the ceremony. That's fine, Chiefs. Yeah. You know, that's the thing with non-coms. They've been in for so fucking long. Take take good pull. friend TK four two one right. There you There's go. a guy twenty plus years in. You know, a fucking little shit butter bar lieutenant outranks him immediately upon graduation from OCS. That doesn't mean that he's not going to fucking listen to the 20-year guy who's a <laughs> big shot non-com, right? Indeed. That's that's the way it goes. And, uh, you know, I, I seem to recall uh, Josh telling me this when he graduated OCS and this uh, gunnery sergeant who he had a ton of respect for was just this badass dude. And he said, like the day that day that guy saluted him after you know the hell he put him through was just like fuck. <laughs> and just like that, I outrank this guy, you know. But for fucking sure, I'm going to listen to everything he says. Fucking a, right? So we're kind of off in the weeds. I guess my point is, for those of you who might not know military structure at all, and, and I have a very layman's grasp of it based on the TV I watch and the people I talk to. And that's, there's commissioned officers and then there's non-commissioned officers and then non-commissioned officers can be in there forever. And then a commissioned officer just comes in and outranks them pretty immediately. Um, typically what you see, I guess, take, take current day modern armed forces. You're, uh, and, and I'm sure I'm going to miss some steps. Don't fucking sue me. But generally speaking, guy, guy joins the Marine Corps or whatever after high school, he goes in and as a non-commissioned officer. Another guy goes in with four years of college experience and a degree under his belt. He goes and he applies to OCS. So he's going to come out as an officer. The other guy's not. He's going to go private. And the most he can go up to is some kind of sergeant, if I'm not mistaken. And then that's kind of where he tops out. But he could be in 30 years. So again, this is this it's experience. Experience goes a long way. And we've always said that about the chief. We believe he's been in since he was 18. We think he's probably got 20 years experience in. Yep. Yeah, Way more so. than Celix does, but he took a different career path, right? Yeah. And that was kind of his choice, which is why I don't really buy the classes in peace as far as military rank goes. Now, you could argue that that some of that exists by way of your upbringing, by way of where you land uh, economically, right? Yeah. If you didn't go to college or you're, you know, you know, there's, there's, I'm sure there's statistics to back up less educated people going in straight enlisted right into boot camp coming out 
fucking private. And then there's the people with a little more money, a little more education. They come out, they go see it. You know what I mean? I'm sure, I'm sure you can track all that there. But at the end of the day, nobody forced anybody to go to the military. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. Right. Not in this world. Not in this world. At least we don't think so. But um, my long-winded point about all this is that I, I think to myself, okay, it, it doesn't seem, I feel like a lieutenant like Celix would probably be like, yeah, this blows. Yeah, I understand severe mission degradation. Yes, I feel comfortable with the deckhands down here. But um, you know what? As far as I can see, this fucking lieutenant should be example. These deckhands not complain in front of him. So hey, go fuck yourself, Celix. How you like that? <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm I'm kidding. <laughs> but but you know what I'm saying? Like she, I kind of feel like I don't mind her bitching about it. But at the same time, I'm like yeah, she, you have to understand this. You you right. are in a, you're in a bad situation. You guys are on the run. Like not much has changed. These are not in a normal week. circumstances. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's the real tough question here of, is this, is my unfair treatment or is this bad situation a matter of the way things are structured and have always been structured and kind of, you know, against me and again, not in my favor, or is it the particular situation of us being pursued by Cylons and of dwindling numbers and resources? Like it's hard to tell the difference sometimes. Right. So yes, there, there is. And I think that's, you know, I, I, I think that I, I don't, I understand the frustration. I think you know that they are making decisions to ensure the survival of the fleet based on the horrific situation you find yourself in. And, yeah. um, and I understand her being frustrated, like, ah, oh, fuck, that's too bad. I really wanted to do that. That's my passion. That's what I've always wanted to do. But right now I can't be used down there and, and that blows. So on, so I understand it even though I'm dogging on her a little bit. <laughs> but we should probably talk a little bit about the way this whole thing is structured. It's also really bad leadership. It's really bad leadership to tell somebody you can't promote them because they are needed in a lesser position. Mm. Elaborate. That's just a, city, a shitty thing to say. It, it definitely sounds really it's, harsh. <laughs> now, I don't have experience in the military, but in the corporate world, which I was in for a long time and I was in leadership and I had 30 people report to me. It's shitty. You can't say, Oh, you're so valuable here in this lower paying shittier benefit position because we need you. And we'd rather not set you up to get promoted into this other position with more responsibility and more leadership. The last (laughs) thing somebody wants to hear is we, that's very, it's, it's, it's a real, it's really shitty because what about what yeah. that person wants? What about exactly. their career development? What about their career path? What about what they're trying to accomplish? Mm-hmm. It's just a real crappy thing to say, oh no, we really, really need you down here right now. You know, don't say right. that. Say I'm qualified or I'm not qualified. Don't, right. don't, don't make it sound like that just is a shitty way to say it. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And see, and that's, again, that's where I think the situation comes in more of, I think they're trying to frame it in that way of because of our situation and because we don't have a, a lot of, you know, we can't pull from a general population of all of Caprica and find somebody to fill this role who has the skills you already have. It's a much smaller pool. Uh, we just can't move you around like we wish we could. Like that's what they're trying to say. And you can Correct. choose to believe them or not. That's true. Um, that's a good point. Yeah. Right. I mean, I think if you have a lieutenant pushing laundry around, you probably could find someone else to do that. <laughs> right. Give her a little more responsibility and make her not feel shitty. You know, I mean, 
you can't, her responsible, she's responsible for her own feelings. There's not much you can do about that. But at the same time, person, personal, personal feelings aside, if you are trying to run this thing and you have this lieutenant who is an asset, then you have to, you have to move. I don't even think she's a lieutenant though. I just, I, I can't no. tell what she is. I always thought she was a lieutenant. I always thought Celix was. Um, yeah. No, I actually did too. Because of kind of the way she's dressed and everything. Yeah, I thought, the her uniform, the I was like, I thought her. she was an officer. I'm, okay. I'm pretty sure she is. And that's what I mean. You know, like. <laughs> I would say the only thing that's a little cartoony about the scene, and I don't like have a big problem with it. I think it's, just think it's kind of funny of how it is like uh, Chief basically being like, you know, you're the only person with these skills right now. You know, we, we really need you here. You're the best one around. And she's like, all right, I'll get back to huffing laundry and boot black. And I guess like that's all I have <laughs> to do down here. Right. I'm like, okay, it's a little silly. Right. I, and to be perfectly frank, we probably overanalyzed a very simple thing, which is just somebody having an emotional reaction to being stuck in a position they don't want to be stuck in, despite the fact that they are more than qualified to move on. Indeed. At the end of the day, that's what it happens to be. What, what, what I do take exception with is trying to connect the colonial military structure with this classism piece. That's the disconnect I have. Right. Like those things are too, like a little bit separate. Right. And, and I think the episode wants you to feel like they are the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. Which is fine. It's not, it's not wrong to make me want to feel that way. It's trying to show us the plight of these people. Right. The less. I I agree that it's weird that it kind of spills over onto the deck when it's like, that seems like more of a specifically Tilium miners issue. Right. And I think part of the problem is in the, and I think the writing trick here is this Trojan horse, Right. What we're trying to do is we're trying to Trojan horse people we care about into the narrative of people we really don't. Mm, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, right. We. I'm not saying. I'm not saying we can't arrive at caring about the Tillium workers. What What I am saying is that we already do care about the deck workers because we know their personalities three seasons in. Yeah, we don't know exactly. any of the Tillium workers. So we care less for them, which goes back to my earlier point, which is when Ty makes fun of civilians who can't take showers, we laugh because we don't care about them. We don't know them. We know Ty and he's funny. <laughs> and I think what they're trying to do is, is start this here so we can, we can sort of feel it a little more when it involves characters we actually give a fuck about. Indeed. Wow. Well, but the main, the main crisis here is that on a routine Raptor patrol, one of them loses control. Their engine bursts out, flames sure. out. One of them goes out and the other one is, is stuck in like full drive and the two pilots have to eject and the ship, does a, ship itself is unfortunately on a collision course with the presidential ship, uh, Rosalind herself. And yes. That's when we cut to credits. <laughs> cut to credits, Rosalind's gonna die. <laughs> but obviously Probably not. <laughs> but obviously not. <laughs> But it damages her ship, and she's forced to, I guess, live in the the opposite side while they like close off that bulkhead and repair the ship for a while. Sure. Yep. And we learn about Zeno Fenner complaining about working conditions. Indeed. And this is where we start to really get into the problem of the, the Tilium miners and what's going on. Right. And part of the problem with this episode is that they make Zeno Fenner unlikable. <laughs> right. Yeah, he's a little bit like he he fucking gets aggressive super quick, um, and you can he gets imagine too it's cute. like he gets too cute. Yeah, exactly, and and like you could imagine the lead up to this and the, the shit he's been through. I'm sure. Like, yeah, okay, you've got a plenty of argument behind you to be like, you know, we're being fucked over, and you guys don't care, and, you, and nobody's listening to us when we do try to say anything. But this is again 
you know, as a viewer, this is our introduction to this character. We didn't know about the Tilium refinery. We didn't know about any of these guys. We didn't know about Fenner till just now. And he's, he's up here causing problems for our beloveds, <laughs> our characters we know and we care so much about. Um, and that this always kind is, of, you know, this, this is a big thing you see in, in a lot of like industrial types of jobs, which are the white collar people in the offices and the blue collar people down below in the blue collar in the white people in the white collared people's inability to communicate effectively. Like this right. was, I thought captured very, very well. Blue collar guy. He's fed up. He's gruff. He doesn't care about your, your cute little whatever. Right. And he's not, he's not going to, he's not there to, uh, to, to play nicey nice with you. He's going to tell you how it is. And right. um, that's, I, I've seen this so many times in my life. Personally, I've seen these types of interactions and, and that's why it's important by the end of the episode for a guy like Chief to become the liaison between the two because he knows how to communicate with people. He has leadership skills. You know, Fenner might only be a leader based on his skill at refining. He might not be much of a people person. It's tough to say. <laughs> right. Which, which is another thing you see a lot. You see people getting promoted because of their skill set in a certain area, not because they have any leadership skills whatsoever. It's simply seniority. And as we right. know, seniority has nothing to do with leadership. Nothing. Nope. So many people have seniority and they couldn't lead their way out of a fucking paper bag. And then some are great. And then some with lesser experience are great and shitty. And that's, uh, again, all variables because we're dealing with people. But yeah, this meeting doesn't go well, does it? No, it does not. Because, you know, uh, we get to the, the chief division between this, you know, these two parties, the, the, the Tilium refinery and, you know, basically the Galactica and the government being like, well, the, the Galactica, is, their interest is, hey, we cannot have any interruption in the flow of fuel. We have to have it. It is utterly vital. We will, are willing to talk to you once you get the fuel flowing again. And his reply is, You've said that before. We've tried to complain. We've tried to to get your attention, and you're always saying later. It's always later, and you can see, you can tell just the way Finner even says it here. He's already resigned to like, okay, yeah, just like I thought. You're gonna Correct. tell me later after we get the fuel back up and going. When you're gonna just ignore us again? Um, and so I I like this conflict. It is very much so because again, I feel like Battlestar Galactica is at its best when there's it presents you with the conflict where you're like, I really do see both sides. I get it. Where I'm like, these guys, they they don't have that much power. They're you know they're they're just a bunch of hard working dudes on assembly lines putting fuel out all day long. You know, sure, we've come to find out later on here they're working 18 hour days back to back to back. Right, uh, not a lot of fucking sway they they have in pulling on the strings of government to get them to listen to them. However, the product they're making is absolutely vital to the entirety of the fleet. So, boy, can they get some attention if they yank the chain and stop the fuel coming. And, yeah, he gets him a meeting with the president and the admiral, like he says. Right. Absolutely. But also, we, we still know the plight of the entire fleet. That, dude, they cannot be stuck. They cannot just become marooned out in space. They'll, they'll just be sitting ducks to be shot up by the Cylons. And there's, and there's a bit of arrogance, I feel, and, and maybe maybe this is just me projecting, but there's a bit of arrogance coming off of Adama and Rosalind here when they meet with this guy, because at the end of the day, this meeting is a meeting to give an ultimatum. This meeting is not good faith. This meeting isn't, we're going to sit down and listen to you. Totally, this meeting yeah. is, we have a situation. And that's, that's another thing I hate about this type of, this, this whole setup was a setup for failure. It's, it's bad attitude. It's, it's quips. It's not. We're not talking about the facts. We're just we're just sort of kind of going after each other. 
And, and whenever Fenner brings up the quote, if you hear the people, you never have to fear the people, Rosalind orders him arrested. Because what is that quote from? The book. The book by our boy. Guys, my, my triumphs, my mistakes. <laughs> you arrogant fuck. <laughs> Ooh, that name. I was like, he oh, said, yeah. It should have yeah. said our triumphs and our mistakes, guys. If you're trying you, to you solidify- me, it should have been mine triumphs, mine <laughs> mistakes. <laughs> if you're gonna, if you're gonna fucking. It's funny. You, you read it that way. I read it way more as like a kind of Marxist shit. But um, he should have wrote it as our triumphs and our mistakes, right? You're trying to speak for the Connect collective with the people, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. you fucking lunatic. <laughs> no, I, I actually, no, I agree with your reading of it. I just think it's so funny the whole like you yeah, know this course, t- the time course. when Hitler was in jail and wrote that book, and even like the cover of it, like the original cover, this is the title of like, holy shit, man! Sure, sure, <laughs> looking real Adolfy, I think. <laughs> but uh, yeah, oh, I, I, I like it. I like it, it's it's funny, you know. I. I she just orders him arrested. That's yeah. Like I love how she's just like, oh, is that a threat? Okay, you're done here. Go away, guards. He committed a thought crime. Get him out of here. <laughs> Prepare for re-education. <laughs> Ignorance get is out, strength. Get out the re-education brain spike. <laughs> Ignorance is strength. War is peace. <laughs> Fucking lunatic bitch. I know. This is another one of those moments where I'm like, Jesus, Rosalind, now I feel shitty for rooting for you so many times. <laughs> Thanks. I love Time when she for brings a good up old fashioned book burning. Of, yeah, speaking of fucking Hitler, she brings Jesus. up that old book burning routine, huh? <laughs> you goose stepping moron should try reading books instead of burning them, boo. <laughs> yeah, that's the point, Sean Connery. The Indeed. point is they don't want to be re educated. So. <laughs> Yeah, boy. Hey, Rosalind. Yeah, not great. Not a good mm-hmm. look. Why don't you call old Pol Pot and see what he's up to? <laughs> Fucking A. Fucking maniac. I need some <laughs> I need some advice on crushing the masses. Where do I put the children's skulls? Hmm? Where? Tell me where. Where do I put the Tillium refinery children's skulls? You fucking <laughs> moon bat, you. But, um, yeah. Uh, so, we we get to sort of we well, see this, this book this with, book is with, insidious it's now creeped into Callie's life because she starts yeah. spouting it at the at the man <laughs> it is indeed starts talking about the class differences between Caprica Vergon Taron and then all the the, the knuckle dragger you know colonies Geminon Aralon. And, you know, I've been reading that book from Gaius. And he's like, you're kidding me. You're reading that crap. She's like, yeah, well, I thought it was going to be. But then, you know, we can already see she's starting to think about it, starting to agree with some of it. And you got to imagine, like, this this scene being here and Callie starting to to take it in and read it, that it's gotten this far. And we, did, we, we didn't even talk about, like, on the deck at the very beginning when we see all these guys working, there are a couple shots of people holding the, the book and sticking it in their pocket here and there. Like, it, it has filtered out into the population, into the military. Like, people are reading this. And you got to imagine this would be kind of, the big news story, the big, like, ooh, like, spoken in hushed tones scandal in the fleet that Gaius Baltar, the former president, the disgraced president who disappeared with the Cylons and is now back as a prisoner, oh, man, he has a book out. Like, who could resist reading that? You'd want to be like, well, oh, what, man, what the fuck is he saying? You know? Like, what, what is this dude she fucking saying? She is every dippy dingbat college broad. <laughs> like, oh, our life's so bad. <laughs> she says from the dorm room her parents are paying for. That's Callie right now. 
<laughs> oh, my life. I'm so fucking oppressed. Are you? Go to the Congo for fucking 20 minutes. You're oppressed. Please. <laughs> Fuck. My, my life is so hard, I say, as I'm eating a delicious meal with the most high-ranking non-commissioned officer on the boat. You <laughs> fucking wackadoo. Yeah. You moon bat. Probably a little bit of a poor choice to hear it all coming from her. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> like, re- yeah. That's what it is, though. It's so funny. I'm fucking make you sign. Go ahead. Whatever you got to do, Callie. You fuck you. She's so bored. But no, it's uh, <laughs> but what, what, what I really want to say is instead of taking my cheap shots at people is I want to say that this just shows you what a master manipulator that guy is Paul Torres. Oh, because 100%. he has his finger on the pulse of what everything of everything that's going down. And he knows precisely how to manipulate dingbats like Callie. And that's exactly what he's doing. <laughs> but no, the, the important part of it, though, is that there's probably plenty in there that is truth, that is an accurate observation that maybe people have already been grumbling about to themselves and haven't spoken out. But then Gaius is just the person smart enough to see that, oh, there are people who have noticed this, but nobody's saying it. And if I'm the first one to like say it, well, now I get to also use it for my agenda. <laughs> I get yeah, to just I think kind of just I, push it along and attach my name to it as well. It's sort of demagoguery, right? Right, it's, right. It's saying it, it, it would be like writing this giant manifesto about how some horrible thing is happening somewhere because there always is. And then appealing to people's emotions to get them riled up about a thing that they have very little control over or, or that, that barely affects them. That's, that's what I mean by he's so smart. Gaius, he's, he's, this is, this shows his political acumen. I I think is what I'm trying to get at. (laughs) Right. It shows his political acumen to know, well, here's a thing that I know will strike a chord with people, even though I know based on the situation I'm in is pretty much bullshit. You know, at least for the larger part of the, uh, at least of the Galactica population. Right. Bullshit meaning we are 35,000 people left and we're on the fucking run. We're not in a peaceful place on 12 different colonies. Right. 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 It it comes down to the hierarchy of needs. You know, it's, if you're starving to death, you're not going to be like, where's my fucking Nietzsche book? You're, you're going to try to find food. It's a, it's like he knows he can. He knows he can sort of poke at that a little bit. He can prod them, even though he, he can appeal to their emotion and not and make them not not remind them of the situation they're in. Because if there's one thing we've seen this whole show is the situation they are in is a situation they've always been in. Things haven't really changed. Yeah, no, and the reason really. things haven't changed, well, except for their stay on Caprica, is because New Caprica is because they're on the run again. So they just have to remember they're on the run again. But people are tired of that, even though they know that's what they have to do to survive. But guys comes along and with politics one on one says, "Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fucking, I'm gonna push that button. I'm gonna push that <laughs> exactly. button and make people feel differently and fuck this thing up and generate it for himself." At the end of the day. I think what Gaius is doing here, which is why I think it's so smart, is he is creating fans of him for an upcoming public trial. Indeed, 100%. Absolutely. Let's talk about, let's talk about Rosin going to see him. Oh, boy. I I, I really want to know how you feel about this. Dude, like I was saying at the top, like she, she has such a personal loathing of him 
that she cannot she can't even hide it at this point. Like she, she kind of delights in like, you know, making the soldiers fucking put their hands on, like turn them around, fucking stand him there, cut open his mattress. Here, we'll, we'll take it out of you. If it's, if we can't find it in yourself, we're going to find it on you. We're going to make you give it up. Like she's smiling at him the whole time. It cuts to a shot of her as the soldiers are searching him. And she's just like grinning, grinning at him, enduring this. Um, and that is going to be, her fucking downfall, man. As far as like the clash of of you know goals or ideology between the two of them, the fact that she cannot keep a a straight, unemotional, unvengeful head about this, he's going to mm-hmm. take advantage of it. I feel like he already is. It's a wacky situation because it's setting a weird precedent in terms of how the law works on the ship, which is why I think this is a missed opportunity for a Lee character. But we learn that his lawyer smuggling pages out. So is he been incarcerated? Is he detained? His lawyer? Yeah. I don't well, know. You know it makes is you it illegal? Wonder. Yes, that's what is, I was Is he ask. a I'm political like, prisoner or is he a civilian? I think we've already determined that he is a citizen of the 12 colonies. Therefore, he will be tried as a citizen of the 12 colonies, indeed. not as a war criminal, not as a prisoner of war. Right. right. So right. he so, should be afforded the rights that any other person incarcerated any other citizen of the 12 colonies incarcerated should have the same rights as him. Does that, is he not allowed to write? I don't know. Right. I'm not sure. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, that is what I think is so bad about what Rosalind is doing, at least for her own cause here of that. He know what, you know, what's going to happen is that eventually he's going to be talking about the way he was treated. I mean, and people are going to be more inclined to believe him because they've already started to come around on his ideas and become more sympathetic to him because of his writings. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you're just kind of starting to dig your own grave as far as Rosalind goes of at least your appearance in the public mind. Like you're going to be the one you're for one, you're the person in power right now. He's not, he's a dude in a jail cell. You're the fucking president. So you already just have like a, a massive, you know, apparatus behind you and everything you say, and you can fucking make things happen to him and he can't do anything. So you kind of look like the bad guy, like, and you're, you're playing into it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the problem is, is to who does he look? To who does she look bad? Right? There's right. nobody there. There is no way these Marines have any sympathy for him whatsoever because they've probably no, just been told don't. he's a traitor and he's a terrible person the whole time. Indeed. They don't know him as an individual. They probably like, when they leave the room, they, I'm, I'm speculating here, but they probably like, <laughs> she fucking made him take his pants off, that idiot. That scumbag <laughs> traitor. You know, they don't know anything about him other right. than what they've, probably been told or witnessed for themselves. They're just people and they are there in a, but his lawyers out there, his lawyer invariably has a mouth and can talk. And he's it's kind of weird that we haven't heard from his lawyer, whoever that, like that should be a character we should be hearing from by now. Sure. Seems, sure. seems pretty far along. Yeah. I'm sure I, we will by the time of the trial. I'm you know, sure we will as well. I'm sure we will as well. But uh, yeah, it's, it's an interesting position we find guys in because that's that's what I mean by this. We, I think they leave it vague on purpose, but these are the situations where I love Battlestar Galactica, but I also want them, again, I, I, all, all the praise in the world to this type of writing. These two characters are at odds with each other. These two, they're sort of volleying these ethics back and forth. And we as the viewer are going, well, who's right here? What What is right? What is wrong? Can I take my emotional feelings like, you know me, sometimes I'm down on Rosalind. Can, can, I, can I reasonably expect to judge the situation and blah, blah, blah? What I think would push the show into 
amazing writing territory would be letting us know, does he have a legal right to write something? And is she suppressing that? Because that dirties her up a little bit. Instead, we're left to wonder, maybe he just isn't allowed to write. Because if it is, then we know he's sort of breaking the law again. And by not, by not being, is that a thing? Is that a colonial law that if you're in jail, you can't write? I don't know. (laughs) Right. Who fuck knows? But that's like one of those things where it's like, you know what I'm trying to get at? Like, are are we better off with more knowledge or less knowledge? Does less knowledge leave interpretation and make it more interesting to guess? What's your thought on that? As far as just the writing goes? Meaning like, is it, does it work? Would it be more or less effective for you? And I'm really asking you to speculate here because you're not going to know. But is it more or less of, would it be more or less effective if you knew that he, A, had a right to write? That's confusing. Or B, was forbidden to write by law. And was doing it anyways. Yes. Because mm, we, don't, we don't know. But if we, we did know, would that shape the way we feel about him or her? Mm. Say he had a right to pen something while he was in prison and she suppressed it, would you feel more down on her? Or do you think I, it works as it is? Yeah, honestly, I, I would feel more down on her. To be honest, like, I, I'm i leaning towards the fact that it probably is actually illegal. Um, and the, they're, they're choosing to give him a trial as a citizen, but treating him like, a, as, a, as far as a prisoner goes, as like, a as, a, as a, a prisoner of war or as kind a of. traitor. Traitor, but, yeah, sure. But which is which is still confusing though, because you're like, well, you're going to give him this trial. Like, if he was if he was a prisoner of war or you know this fucking traitor, like, wouldn't you just give him a tribunal? Like, isn't that how that works? I don't know. Um, but I definitely would be more down on Roslyn, uh, even more than I already am. Mm-hmm. If it was in fact legal for him to be doing this, and they're and she's just you know putting the kibosh on it because like no, because it's Baltar. You're basically saying you would feel you'd be more down on her, and we don't really know, right? Right. I mean, I'm already I'm already fairly low on her just in, from what the episode presents. Because um, I'm like, if anything, you, you think you're in the right, you think he's wrong, then you should kind of just fucking ignore him. Like, uh, right. okay, like let him be. You, you got to imagine that if if you have the strongest case for what is right, then it will the reality will align with you, and you have to still make a strong case for that. But I don't think you should be stooping to like I'm going to rip apart his fucking cell and like delight in having my fucking dudes put their hands on him. I'm like, uh, you're looking, you're kind of going down the villain's path right now with this. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, it may come as a surprise to you, Madam President, but I wish to strike a chord with the common man. <laughs> she doesn't like that. And this just, you know, this becomes a breakdown in this becomes a breakdown in your leadership, Roslyn. If right. you, if you, if you're so stricken by his ability to influence people, then influence them better, right? <laughs> yeah, this, we, we talk about this a lot. We talk about good arguments should be lesser arguments, and I know that's not always the case. And I know people are easily led, but you're a politician. You should you should figure out what you're going to do to ensure he has as minimal impact on this as a, as possible, without allowing yourself these uh, these moments where you sort of bend the law to flex on him. Um, right? It's just uh, right. it, it looks kind of shitty. It's uh, it is. And, and no, again, at the end of the day, like it, it gives him ammunition. If you if you're gonna think about it purely from Roslyn's side, it gives him ammunition of of things to talk about in the trial of his treatment and in Roslyn's mm-hmm. administration of treating him the way they did in his prison cell. I'm like, you don't feed into it. 
Especially if those Marines can get subpoenaed. See, there you go. And his lawyer has obviously been there and then talked with him in his cell, seeing his conditions, seeing how he's, you know, like there's going to be stories about this. Mm-hmm. Right. So now let me change gears here because I want to be realistic too, because everybody knows that um, I, I tend to, uh, I tend to apply relativistic standards to uh, guys like Baltar. And I know that's sometimes frustrating for people. At the same time, I feel like if I hated Baltar, I'd be like, yeah, fuck him. Strip his clothes, <laughs> rip his bed up, tear it apart. You know, I'm willing to accept the fact that I could, I understand seeing it emotionally. And that goes back to the the message or the man, right? That gets back to what we were saying earlier, which is a lot of times we prejudge a message because of who it's coming from, regardless as to how airtight it is from an argumentative standpoint. True. Yeah. Right. That's why uh, I sometimes think if in in that and in, in even that be, in, in even that gets crazy. So you see that modern in modern day with the advent of social media, we don't know much about a lot of people that are making arguments. So what happens is that each side of the political spectrum will do things like create these sort of uh, radioactive words that if an opponent uses, they go, "Oh, you're one of these people. I don't listen to you anymore." Right. Indeed. Right. So in other words, that's a way to almost corrupt someone's identity when it comes to this lack of face-to-face contact. Um, Right. It's kind of interesting when you think about it. So they go, no, you said whatever word, whatever fucking dumb word, whatever ding-dong political side uses to make me go, oh, he said that word, that means X. I can now discount him entirely and not even look at the merits of the argument. I can just go, I stick my fingers in my ear. Um, which is in this episode to a much lesser degree because it is face-to-face going, oh, Baltar, he's a scumbag. I know he is. I know how he is. So no matter what, I'm going to flex on him, regardless of if I am doing what is correct or incorrect, legally speaking. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. In other words, (laughs) 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 whatever I do to you is justified because it's you. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. I can label you. I can punch you in the face. That's kind of how it works, <laughs> <laughs> metaphorically or actually. Right. Pretty wild. So anyway, um, he keeps his dignity, Six. Yeah, that was an interesting moment. Uh, yeah. Where Six is basically like, don't let them strip you. Like, don't let them, don't let it go down that far and let yourself get, you know, that dehumanized uh, in front of Rosalind. Like, nope. Go ahead and give it to him. Keep your dignity. And it it was an interesting twist that I didn't expect because I thought she was going down the route of no matter what, don't give it to them. While you're naked, just imagine that your cock is in my hand and you'll be just fine. It'll be totally fine. Because I'm a dime. (laughs) But yeah, it was interesting. It was an interesting choice by her. Yeah. She's like, keep your dignity. Like, don't look any weaker in front of her. Right. And I love his line when he finally does like pull it out of his pants, hands are the last page. He's like, perhaps you'll consider writing a blurb for the back cover. You sexy motherfucker. I love it. I can't help it. <laughs> Zinger. That's it. I, I gotta say, you know, it's another moment that's gonna upset Taylor Galloway, but when they strip away his shirt and you know, it's just a it's just the wife beater there hanging under his his, his fucking prison guard shirt. I'm like that's the best looking Baltar's looked yet. <laughs> that there is some hot Baltar. Hot, dirty Baltar. My guy's in your head, huh? Galloway? Mm-hmm. He's in <laughs> Galloway's in your head. 
I'm like, maybe he's got a point. Every time you say something positive about him, does his face just loom in your mind? Are you controlled by the presence like, of? Wow, uh, he looks like Jesus. <laughs> no, no, I'm saying, do you do you do you imagine Galloway every time you say something positive? Is he that in your head? A uh, positive of Baltar? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I just I love to imagine him fuming. No, oh, okay. <laughs> yet again. I see. I get, so you're trolling. <laughs> of course. Got it. Wouldn't be like an a LSG. petty cunt. Wouldn't be an Alice Chief hot if you weren't trolling someone. <laughs> I mean, we'll, we'll you know, cover Army of Darkness. We'll fix that. You know, a listener that fucking pays us every month. <laughs> if we didn't troll the listeners that paid us every month, we would they they would quit, and I would. What throw, do you think you're paying for? I would urge them to quit because then we'd be being phonies. We'd be dancing for the fucking shekels. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, off to this. Let's get to this fucking horrible Tillium refinery. Let's do it, man. The spice must flow, baby. The spice must flow. <laughs> Come on, the Bene Gesserit need it. The Spacing yeah. Guild. Everybody needs this shit. Tell Duke Atreides you're going to fucking, you're, gonna, you're not going to do the refinery. See what happens <laughs> with his hawk crest. See what happens. Uh, but very quickly, cool, we find cool out. Set, you know, huh? We, we chief meets Cabot, who's excited that 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 chief is the one they've sent. He's like, oh, we you know we knew that you led the union down on New Caprica, and we, we feel so good about you. You're, you're here for the little guy, and he's like, yeah, totally, <laughs> definitely sent here by the biggest military brass in the fleet. <laughs> but uh, so don't get your fucking hopes up. But yeah, yeah it's me, Galen. Yeah, I'm the guy. By the way, back on my plushy place. What happened? What happened, Chief? You gave up on the workers when you got back <laughs> home. You spoiled brat, you. He's like, well, I'm gonna, you know, let me get back on my couch. You know, I got a good pullout. I'll see you guys later. <laughs> They're like, no, no, come sleep in the fucking bunk beds with us. Nah, I'm good though. I'm gonna plow. <laughs> now my, that I got my bed, I, your I'm rights gonna, just I'm gonna, seem less interesting to me. I'm gonna plow my cute little fucking sex fiend wife though, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna do that in the warm confines of my fucking quarters with my privileges. <laughs> I'm definitely doing that though. But yeah, you guys have fun when you, yeah, fist in the air, brother. Yeah, get it. I know. I'm, I'm with it too, but I am a little parched. So I'm going to go get the, uh, <laughs> go get something to drink. Throw the wooden shoes in, dude. Yeah, sabotage. I get you. I'm going to go grab a nice tea though. Have fun <laughs> with your Fucking dirty water, Galen. with your turbid water. <laughs> get wow. your shots though, right? Get your shots. My face is going to be in Cali's snatch later, so. Have fun. Yeah, that's a good time. Having a drink with the uh, with the man in question. Yeah, we're having some whiskey. Yeah. yeah good stuff. Good time, though. Yeah, but no, rah-rah for the workers. Yeah, I remember New Caprica. High five, dude. Right. He's just got a butler trailing behind him carrying his top hat and cane. They're like, yeah, he's one of us. And, and one in front of him throwing rose petals at his well-manicured feet. <laughs> Galen, you seem kind of, I don't know, different. <laughs> this guy why is a guy falling with a violin ah, i'm a worker just like you he's I, everybody he's my state issued troubadour i don't know you know <laughs> i didn't ask they just give him to me <laughs> they don't even know what fucking troubadour means <laughs> <laughs> that's bad you know he sings tales of my of my journeys <laughs> and heroism you know he gets down to the he gets down to I the get line a buff because of it it's pretty nice he gets down to the line. Here he, here he, Glentiel is about to enter. <laughs> Galentiel, hero of the common man. <laughs> like every lion politician forever. 
<laughs> Fucking awesome. <Exactly. laughs> From a log cabin, I came indeed. I'm I'm tweeting on my private jet about the whatever prices of a bus ticket or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. All right, though, dudes. I'm one of the workers too. <laughs> anyway, sound of touch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, he goes down to these fucking ashen-faced, fucking horrible miners, these poor dudes, just <laughs> on a massive assembly line. And I mean, it's not even an assembly line, but it's just like this refinery line. I mean, we finally get a look at what the tilium fuel looks like, and it's like this grainy powder uh, that they're they're working on and refining. Sure. Um, but some of it they, looks like brown sugar and sand. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But as they're walking through there, Celix is, is with him, of course. And he starts to kind of go around and see what, what is going on down here. And eventually they come to find out that, no, you can't even turn the machine on. It's going to blow up. The whole thing is unstable. There's only, there's only enough tilium to keep the fleet going for, gosh, maybe a couple of days. Like They're like, yeah, it's really low. Like This is all we have left in the reserves. Um, and then we start to find out that, no... It's not a matter of just their tilium, you know, a, you know, amount being low or the machines breaking down. The pressure seals are just gone. Uh, the pressure seals across the entire factory that keep the place from the pressure soaring too high and it becoming unstable. They're missing every single one of them. Right. And so it's quite obvious that this has been sabotaged. And uh, tell me about this little floppy-haired Oliver Twist kid. <laughs> it's me, Milo. The Admiral can kiss my ass. My name is Milo, and I got no money. And my brother <laughs> died down here, and my mother died down here, and I'm not gonna die down here. <laughs> That's this kid, basically, right? Pretty much. Oh, oh but, or, or or he can just be like the douchebag, like from middle school. Like, oh, I don't know where the upper right now. You're totally cold. Yeah, you're cold. Oh, a little warmer. A little Wicked warmer. Cold. Oh, oh, colder. Oh, 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 God. <laughs> Punch him in the face. Kind of want to tear the punch him in the face. (laughs) This fucking, this working since eight years old, fucking to the knuckle, Oliver Twist. He just, he just, he just like King Leonid as Spartan kicks the kid into the belt. Slow motion. Slow motion. The kid goes flying back. His big eyes like Cotton's Gruber falling off Nakatomi. And they got that nine snails. As he. The music. He flies into the fucking gears. Gets all ground up. Comes out like that fucking hunchback Spartan. I love it. I love it, dude. And yet, what a hero, Chief is. He's fucking just boots and boom, well manicured, barefoot, boom. Nobody can chest kick a fucking minor, <laughs> a, a child. And he like, does that. The head snaps forward, like just a rocks him. Bound, da bound, da bound, da bound, da bound. The machine Jesus. just winds down. Fucking hero of the working man, <laughs> chief hero, liberating we can children. We be heroes. He just liberate We kicked him into the fucking gears. <laughs> oh, sorry. We were doing this whole thing. The music started playing. It was slow mo. I thought that was my cue to to murder him. <laughs> he's just all sweaty. Don't blame. Don't blame my troubadour. He's a, he's an improv guy. <laughs> he's he's bends over at the waist as the kid like. 
takes his last breaths. He's like, not so fucking cute now, are you, huh? Not so smart now, huh? Yeah, I might not find it, but you're dead. <laughs> Truly, sir, you have vanquished an 11-year-old fucking <laughs> Tyrell, laborer. Tyrell, you've really lost your way here. I mean, Jesus. You he's like, for the people. people. Fist up in the air again, is he? <laughs> for the people. <laughs> Jesus. But, but no, yeah. we find out here that yes, the they have removed all of these pressure seals, uh, basically to keep the refinery from producing any more usable tilium. And basically, they're not going to reveal the location or put anything back in order or get anything moving again until they get to basically have a talk with the president and with Admiral for the working conditions. For mm-hmm. we we want to have this conversation that you guys have been ignoring. I, I wish we could have gotten a little more specific with the working conditions. Right, right. Like some actual, you know, like uh, the, their list of grievances or whatever. Right, long days, I guess, is one of them. Okay, can you train more people? Right. It doesn't right. look hard to take one of those mill crates and dump that shit out on the conveyor belt. <laughs> right? Indeed. Luckily, on the Galactica, we're not dealing with state fucking ridiculous laws that are totally retarded. Which is like, you need 17 different fucking certifications that don't teach a dick, but the state needs their fucking handouts. All right, you paid $9,000, now you can go work the machine. Right? I don't <laughs> think the there's any of your life. <laughs> right. Oh, wow, well, you finally made your money back, you 73. Well done. <laughs> the state appreciates your hard work. You've earned a pauper's grave. <laughs> Here's a fucking lemon. Right? Go take a break. Yay. <laughs> oh, wait, your certification expired, huh? We, you got to come off until you can do it. Yeah. Oh, it's 5000 to re-up, though. Yeah, well, but safety. We do. We want you to be qualified because of the children. We know. We're the state. We know how it runs. We always come down here and run them. We know from our fucking skyscrapers. <laughs> Sorry. I guess what I'm trying to say, Matt, is I don't think they have that roadblock. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think. Just grab a fucking 12-year-old and throw him on the line. Figure it out, kid. So Johnny can get <laughs> some sleep. I could solve these problems. Just grab a bunch of people. Tell them the yeah, situation. They just don't have child labor laws. <laughs> In the colonies, I guess. <laughs> They're like, fuck it. I don't know. Who cares? It's awesome. And also, dude, one of the most cartoonish moments on this episode because I actually I in the next scene when 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 chief is back with with the president and with the uh, a, you know, admiral and giving them the kind of rundown of like all right well here's the situation there and here's what's going on here's why they're striking uh you know he, he brings up that point of like they have a lot of the workers on that ship have not had a day off since the original attack from the Cylons and which is years ago now which is crazy to think about um and he's like it's like slave labor valid point but he goes, he says, it's like slave labor. And they cut to Adama drinking a glass of champagne. Hell He's like, yeah. don't be absurd. I'm like, why did you, <laughs> come on. You should have given him a monocle and a top hat and a prostitute. <laughs> don't be absurd. <laughs> that's, how they, that's how they like to live. They're animals. Chief, we're dealing with mongoloid street people here. <laughs> they're not they're real happy people. to just be able to run two shekels together. Trust me, they like it this way better. <laughs> I'm like, come on, episode. You don't got to hit me over the head that hard. It's a little absurd, right? <laughs> so it's a little over the top because the dialogue itself, I'm fine with, but I'm like, that shot, come on. <laughs> That's ridiculous. <laughs> it's really fucking funny, though. 
But right. yeah, no, this is probably, to be honest, this scene is the scene that I dislike Rosalind the most. Uh, because she just, she flat out refuses to hear anything of the specificities of their conditions. He, you know, he tells them all these specific things. Like a lot of them haven't had a single day off since the original attack. They're working 18 hour days. There are kids down there younger than, you know, 15 years old, some of them 11, 12 working the lines. And he's like, this is really horrible c- conditions. They're, they're burning out. Like they can't go on this way. And she's like, oh, well, other places have it hard too. So whatever. And I'm like, that's a really horrible argument <laughs> like that is always the most nonsensical like well that's not what we're talking about we're not talking about the algae processing plant we're not talking about the munitions plant we're talking specifically about this plant and this mm-hmm. situation and you, you can't just wave it off by being like well other stuff is kind of like that i don't want to think about it anymore is pretty much what she says right i hate i always hate that argument too because it's like well it's not bad enough for them to do anything about it that's their fucking problem not my problem <laughs> right. If the algae guys aren't mad enough to come down here and take issue and take umbrage with it, then that's their problem, not my problem. Right. Although you're right. giving me like- a really good idea to where I should meet with every fucking leader of every major important thing in the ship, and we should uh, we should rally against you. What do you think of that, Rosalind? Thanks <laughs> for the that? idea. I'm going to call up the algae guy. I'm going to call up the fucking solid waste removal guy. I'm going to call them all, and we're all going to stop. And then we're going to kill us all. <laughs> there you go there you fucking go I, I that like that is too. god that is probably the single most prevalent thing uh in, in in as far as shitty arguments in politics it's always like well the other side did that before so well fuck them and i'm like well yeah we're not talking about that are we we're talking about when you did it right now you can't right. th- there's no there's no weight to the argument of well this shitty thing we did other people did this shitty thing so we're fine like, no, it's a shitty thing. You shouldn't do it. <laughs> it doesn't yeah. matter if somebody else did it. I, I call it the king of pain, like, argument, which is like, <laughs> oh, you have the monopoly on grief, right? It's like, <laughs> oh, oh, you're sad your uncle died. Well, my whole family burned in a fire. Like, okay, <laughs> How dare you, feel right, you win. Great. Awesome. Now I feel shitty because my uncle died. Cool. Because your whole fucking family perished in a fire. Awesome. You know, it's funny. <laughs> Somebody always so has shitty. it worse. You know those people. They're the war- most annoying people to deal with. <laughs> right. But even just like the whole point, she's like, well, you think they're having a picnic over at these other stations? I'm like, yeah, they're probably not either. And that's also probably something you should address. Like, sure, this, sure. It doesn't let you off the hook. Just to be like, well, yeah, it's all shitty. I'm like, well, yeah. And if it is, then you should probably start figuring out ways to communicate with them, figure some shit out before it really, you know, leads to like a full-blown uprising where they're coming for you. Yeah, exactly. And that's, um, I, I used to get into that a lot when I was younger. Um, I had this manager who was fond of asking me, what are you, what are you up to this weekend? Which was, uh, <laughs> I want you, I'm, I'm asking you if maybe you can work, Ugh. but he, but he would present it in a way to where, because I was younger and I wasn't married at the time, or I didn't have a fucking kid that somehow my time was less valuable. Right. And right. M- me being who I was, uh, a, a you know, a budding wannabe you know, I'm going to take stances on illogical things and, and I'm going to shake my fist at the status quo. (laughs) We just butt heads with them about it. Like, what's your, what's your plan this weekend? I'm like, to not be here, which is whoever (laughs) else's plan. Yeah. But, but what are you doing? Not being here. That's my plan. (laughs) Like you, I'm not going to play this game with you where I go, Oh, I'm going to sit on my fucking ass and play uh, doom too with my brother all weekend. Oh, well, you know, because Joe is going to this thing and, 
I hate that shit. Now, <sighs> that's not to say if Joe comes to me and says, hey, man, um, I got these tickets to go to this thing. Would you mind covering? Fuck yeah, Joe. No problem. <laughs> Get me back. But don't try to wiggle out of this shit. Like, don't, mm-hmm. don't try to put this crap on me. Like, somehow time is less valuable in, in these particular situations. I hate that shit. That's their so shit. Fucking bananas. Ugh. Ugh, I hate it. <laughs> hey, but I, when I always they would ask, I would be like, not being here. My plan is to not be <laughs> here on Saturday. Play. On my day Just off. Not I'm not here. Gonna, yeah. That's my that's a hundred percent what I'm definitely doing. As to what I do with the thing, I'm not sure. <laughs> and it's none of your business, technically. Yeah, technically no though. None of your fucking business either. But hey, does Tommy need need a hand because he's got a Bruins ticket? No fucking problem, Tommy. I got you. You come to me. We can do this without this fucking ding dong standing over us. Exactly. Anyway. But yeah, it's here where Rosalind pretty much, you know, she has the quote of extortion is not an acceptable form of protest. And this is after, of course, Chief has been like, I think we just allow them, you know, to come to the table and and bring their grievances, talk about working conditions, and then they're going to restore all the pressure seals. They'll get it back up and going. And, you know, we just got to start this conversation. But she refuses to start the conversation until the fuel is flowing again. Uh, And that's that's pretty much it. She decides to issue an arrest warrant for the leaders, aka Cabot here, for letting this happen. And that's that. They're going to crush it before it even gets off the ground. Extortion, huh, Rosalind? Wowzers, yeah. Mm. That's, a, that's one of those situations where I'm like, hmm, extortion or strike? It's kind of like, yeah, the people in power being like, well, I'm going to call it this because that's what I'm going to I'm going to make it a crime. It's definitely a crime. Mm. Extortion, uh, huh? Extortion. I'm pretty sure extortion is literally coercing people with threat of force to do things for you. Kind of the isn't that now? Call me if I'm wrong, but isn't that kind of the state's whole deal? Isn't that kind of the government's whole <laughs> I'm thing? Pretty sure that that's you guys what she's have doing. The whole monopoly on violence. I think she's doing it right now. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> you're threatening um, me with boy, the, you're, you're threatening to take away my liberty if I don't go to work. If I don't under- produce for you, you understand that you're literally being the mafia right now, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> And like, this is that moment where I'm like, okay, all, if you think about it, and it's interesting that we just talked about this in a very different context, but uh, when we covered Colossus talking about a machine, an AI intelligence that does not, you know, it's not a robot, doesn't have arms. The literal, the only way it is as an AI that can control the Department of Defense, the only way it can reach out and affect things in the real world is by launching nukes. That's its form of power. Basically, that's what it can do. And so that's its only tool to use. And when you think about it, these workers, the only tool they have, I mean, they can constantly uh, try and protest and say, hey, we, you should talk to us. We need to talk. And the government can just ignore them. But the only tool of power they have to force the government to listen to them or to just look at them even is to go, okay, well, fuck it. We're just going to stop producing the thing you need. That's, that's the thing we have. So we're going to stop producing it. There. Now you have to talk to us, whether you like to or not. And whether, whether you want to talk to us or, or, or are going to come to a table in good faith, you kind of have to talk to us now. Uh, and Rosalind's taking the very hardline position of, nope, that's a crime. We're going to fucking arrest them. We're done. Not mm. talking. Pardon me while I wipe a tear away from my eye as you literally said the words, the state has a monopoly on force because... Oh boy, you would make any voluntarist proud with that with those words that I never thought I'd hear come out of your mouth. So I mean, that's I'm just true. Give me a moment while I wipe a tear from my eye. I'm so proud of you. And then um, 
you know, I guess you don't own yourself. <laughs> I guess there's no self-sovereignty in this world because <laughs> you, you can't not go to work, apparently. Sounds like slavery to me. Right? Being forced to work when you don't want to. Yeah, yeah. You know? And I'm sure you could moralize it. But without the cotton, then then these bad things will happen. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like, okay. So go down there, take your fucking dainty handed ass in your dumb fucking pantsuit and you go down there and you start you start refining tillium they'll be happy to teach you how to do it yeah start fart start lifting buckets get to it <laughs> but again um we uh we know that cabot had a rough time on new caprica as a prisoner we learned that he kind of fucked up Dude, he was he was a little fucked brutal. up so he's you know he's a mess he's got some ptsd big time yeah, he was held held in a uh, Cylon detention center and presumably tortured. Now, I'm not a psychologist, Matthew, so uh, take this with a grain of salt and have a drink. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm not sure you want him in those cramped spaces on the Telenium refinery. Um, <laughs> right? Because I don't want him to freak out on me and start punching the walls. Yeah, uh, and that's another thing. It kind of comes back to the whole position of like, there have been so many episodes we, we've talked before in the past of like you know <laughs> finally finally uh you know starbuck or apollo they get some r and r oh they've been on patrol so much they finally get some r and r it's so well deserved oh they get to go to their their crew like bar that they built on the hangar and sure. we always feel like ah oh, it's so earned they've been through a lot and i'm like <laughs> dude this guy has been working 18 hour shifts since the beginning of the cylon attack got down to new caprica got captured for resisting the cylon tortured by the Cylons, finally freed from New Caprica, and they're like, you're free. You made it. We saved you. All right, now get your ass on back in there and get back to work, though. <laughs> like, get right back to it. No fucking R&R, baby. A therapist? What the fuck is that? Get out of here. Go work. Yowza. Fucking rough. Yep. This poor guy. Yep. <laughs> oh, but <cabin>. this is... <laughs> But this is pretty much when uh, yeah, poor old, what's his name, Finner here, just kind of can't help it. Or he's like, okay, fine. Here's where the seals are. They're in this air vent. That's that's where they're hidden. You can fucking do it. Go go ahead and, and take it. Because it's like, this guy is going to fucking die in here. And the only way they're going to let them out is if they find out where the seals are. And they, even even the, the chief here is like, come on, Cabot, where are the seals? Like, where? That's the only way I can get you out of here, basically. Yep. So they do. They and reveal then- the location. <laughs> And then he goes, and then Tyrrell goes back to Colonial One. He goes back to talk to Roslyn. And he's like, there are like 12-year-olds on the ship. And she's like, there's children in every ship. Okay. (laughs) So do I need to get out a slideshow to sort of show you that these children down here being subjected to horrific conditions are different than the children on the other ship being subjected to less horrific conditions? Right. I'm not sure why you don't see this, Madam President. What are you struggling with, ma'am? She's like, we all suffer. I mean, I stubbed my toe on the desk the other day, and I kept being president. What I really wanted to happen, because then I would have been like, bloody revolution, chop her head off, <laughs> is if that kid's parent was like, you're not working, and then she was like, arrest the parent. Then I'd be like, okay, <laughs> armed revolution immediately. <laughs> and, and it is time to roll out the guillotine. Immediately. <laughs> <laughs> Let's meet cake, she said. <laughs> Her looks good in a basket, though. <laughs> it's real nice in a basket. Good makeup. Oh, fuck. 
I hate all this shit. That's why, because, because especially a skilled, a skilled debater, because you can always, this is why I always tend towards, this is why I always tend towards less and less power for people in command, which is because you can always argue something into it becoming reasonable when you make it utterly ridiculous. You know, how do you, so if, how do you mean, in other words, like you can, if somebody has less power to be able to control other people's lives, then regardless of how clever of an order they are, they can, they can only ever do so much to you because you can pull a Rosalind and you can present argument that makes people go, well, I guess technically sure. <laughs> right. You know, like what you don't want to be like, okay, like, sure. I get it. Technically like your whole family died. So I should be less sad about my uncle dying. Like I get it, but fuck man, you know, <laughs> right. Kind of right. give me a break here. You're taking away from like the, the specifics of this situation. It makes you just be able to gloss right over it and be like, well, yeah, everybody does. So whatever. Mm-hmm. And right. it's like, well, but you're still causing this. <laughs> Something can be done about this. And you're saying, well, but it's happening all, all you know, in other places too. So we can't do anything about it anywhere, I guess. And, and, and I know that's what she's supposed to say, but she doesn't even explicitly say it. She, he, he's like, there's 12, 13, 14, 15 year olds. She's like, well, that's what they've been doing ever since we've been attacked. Their hands are so nimble and good at it. And gotta, yeah, guess what? Them. They're people, okay? They're persons, so we got to do something about it. But my Nikes fit so good. And how else can little fingers make them better than that? We need mm. those little fingers. <laughs> and she says, look, it's not ideal. There's nothing ideal about the fleet. Yes, I agree. Yes, I agree. And that's when he says the jobs are starting to get inherited. Dude, yeah, that is, that's a scary thought. Uh, and that's, again, this comes back down to the the whole, the sp- the specifics of their situation being, you know, the whole of humanity, all of all of what's left, but also in constant pursuit. So they're not able to like settle somewhere and grow and and reorder, you know, government or society or anything. It's like they kind of have to just like stay as they are and keep moving. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it, like you said, like it kind of starts to set this like weird hierarchy in place like really solidifies it of like well these are the people who know these skills so their kids well you're gonna have to learn those skills that's the only school you have is your family your parents your the the community you're in if you're you you're born in the you know in the ship of all the tilium refiners you're gonna learn how to refine tilium like that's what's available to you and that's what you're gonna do uh, mm-hmm. And there's not too many, you know, you don't get to, I'm going to transfer to a, a college on a different planet. No, <laughs> there, that's literally not available. It's like, ah, uh, it's a weird, it's a weird, precarious situation they're, they're, they're getting into. And that's, that's one of the things I am excited to see become more of a source of conflict on the show of like, where do we go from here? That's, that's what I would, I thought was going to change when they went down to New Caprica, but then there, there come the Cylons, of course. But I was like, well, if they got to settle somewhere and start to establish new like schools and institutions and, and give people different kinds of opportunities, allow people to, well, I want to learn this thing instead of this thing. But that's all, none of that's available to them anymore. Right. I, I also think that this is, some of this stuff is a bit, is a bit slipshod with the writing because mm-hmm. what do you mean inherited? How long have we been on the run? How many days? How many days older is your kid now than he was when they attacked? A year? Relax. I mean, what is it like t- from the initial attack to now? Is it like what, like two years, two and a half, maybe? 
because there was a year on New Caprica, yeah, and they'd been maybe a year in space. So, 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 maybe? so take take out New Caprica because it is a bit confusing. Mm-hmm. But um, season three, which is where we are right now, as of this episode, which is Dirty Hands, is let's see, day one thousand eighty seven was last week. Oh, okay. But you got to remember, there was a whole year. It was a year later, right? Where they were under Cylon control? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But still, just the amount of time since the Cylon attack. Yeah. Not enough time for your children to be inheriting your jobs because you're getting old and dying. Like, come on. No, no. I think he's more saying that that's the path we're starting to go Right. He is. He is. Right. But- also, definitely don't use yourself in that example. <laughs> right. Not, not <laughs> you. Yeah. Don't you? No, nobody's going to feel bad for your little child when you are the highest ranking non-com on the boat. Relax, okay? <laughs> and he's all, he goes back to the, the Tillium refinery after here, right? Yeah. Lay Down Your Burdens Part 2, which was a season two finale, was uh, day 315. Okay. Yep. And then 315. And then when you go to resistance between day 660 and day 794. Um, and then we go to occupation, your day 794 or 494th day since settlement, 134th day of occupation. Um, when, when, let's see, when Leoben introduces Casey to Kara, we're 796 days in. But remember, that's not all on the run, but still, yeah, the math doesn't really shake out. He, but yes, to your point, Matt, I'm assuming he's suggesting that this is a path we're on, but she's actually reasonable to this idea. And she says, make right. a list who has work history appropriate to the refinery. Yeah. Anybody Factory who's worked with large machines. Where we think, you know, yeah. Yep. You know, Hold skills that are not water. directly related to this, but can, you know, be more easily trained, more easily transitioned into and, this. And the other thing that, the other thing this episode does that we haven't really talked about yet is it kind of makes us assume that people wouldn't be willing to chip in to save themselves from obliteration. <laughs> right. It's kind of goofy because what we've seen is people willing to do what's needed to survive given the circumstances they find themselves in. But now it's yeah. almost like we're getting into this like conscripting workforces if you, right. she's like, oh, hold a public lottery and then we're just going to pick them. It's like, in other words, she's saying, we're going to draft people to refinery duty. When you could just spin this in a way that says, hey, we're in a tough situation. These people need your help. These people need your relief. We're looking for volunteers. You're going to get volunteers. Right, right. And it's going to be a better situation, right? It's going to be a better situation if people are willingly chipping in. Maybe they want to change a pace. Maybe they want to learn a new skill. Maybe they want to just help out because they know that you're under extreme stress and all you want to do is assist. If you tell them we're in a tough spot, we have a fuel problem, we have people down here who haven't had a day off, we need some help, we're willing to train you. Can you help that your yeah. fleet needs you? That's the yeah. fucking move, right? Do a good old fashioned like World War II style campaign of like, pitch in. We can do it, right? Chicks flexing. <laughs> nothing sh- makes the Cylon foe angrier than fresh Tilium. And nothing in, in, in these people are way more close to annihilation than the USA ever was. And that's, and you could sell this idea. You could pitch this. 
And that's just kind of one of those convenient writing pieces to where I understand what you're doing emotionally, but when I start to think about it a little bit more, when I cross-examine it in my head, I go, well, wait a minute. Aren't these the same intrepid colonial people that have survived all of this time, that have settled and come back off and had to flee and watch their friends die? Do they just want to give up and quit and die now? Maybe some of them do. And maybe they're talking to therapists on their respective ships. Maybe they're sitting in a circle in a fucking gymnasium somewhere. But you also have people who are going to be willing to go, well, I definitely want to help. Like if you heard that and you were like, well, I kind of don't, I'm kind of tired of cleaning toilets. I'll go learn (laughs) how to do refinery work. Let's go. Yeah. Let's chip in. There was an accident. Somebody got hurt. A poor fucking kid is fucked up. There are 12 year olds working. Holy shit, man. I'll go help. Two weeks on, a week off. Okay. Yeah, we can work. We can figure this out. It's an easy sell. It's an easy sell. Yeah. No, I think you got a point there. Yeah. It's just a convenient overlook in the writing to suggest that possibly we would require this sort of conscription into some sort of labor force. Right. Like they're making it, they're trying to give you that Soviet vibe. And I'm just like, yeah, but they'd probably volunteer considering the circumstances they find themselves in. Right. But instead it's like we're dragging this fucking kid. Like, come on, come on show. Stop. Like, I get what you're trying to do. And this is the frustration I have because the show is deliberately trying to manipulate me into thinking that I get what it's trying to do. But Mm -hmm. I also know that underneath the fucking, if you look behind the curtain, it's just dumb. A grown ass man would have said, I'll go in his place. (laughs) Let the kid go home. Right. Right. Where's his fucking parents? Where's the parents? You got to at least start it as like a call for volunteers. And if, yeah, for some reason, there's just nobody. There's or like uh, 40 people volunteer when we need 400. It's like, okay, then maybe, yeah, we have to start right. implementing some kind of thing. Sure. But, I mean, yeah, we never get shit. a sense of that scale. Even right. 40 would make a difference, you know? Seriously. Yeah. It's crazy. What do they need? Yeah. It's just, again, there's a little, there's a little bit of, you know, nothing in this hand kind of stuff with this to make us sort of understand the plight. That's all. I still like it. I do. Yeah. I like the episode for sure. I'm just saying, come on, episode, stop it. You're being goofy. <laughs> it's one of those times when, like, there are times when boiling down some, like, societal thing to be represented in a single person, a single sure. character works. And there are other times where it's like, ah, that's silly. Like, it just doesn't quite land the way it should. Right. And especially him being the guy who gets injured later on. I was like, ah. Yeah, you know. I like, honestly oh. thought the kid was going to get injured. And I've been like, that would have been a strong point. The fucking 12 year old gets his hand mangled. And they're right. like, oof. Yeah. Like, oh, we're going to make bad. an exception for him. We're going to make an exception for everybody, which I also kind of get. But also, like, come on, there's no volunteers. Nobody's going to step up. <laughs> for the one of the most, the maybe the most crucial resource for the entire fleet. And that's what kind of gets to me, which is the chief. Instead of spearheading this volunteer thing, he goes to see Baltar and is convinced. And he's like, all right, revolution time. I'm like, okay, like, <laughs> it's fine. But let's talk about that meeting after they drag that child off right. to be a slave, see, this, basically. This is one of the things the episode I was talking about where, like, I I struggle with it because I do like it. And I, and I actually really like Baltar here. I like the yeah. way, way he presents it. I like their conversation. 
but it does the action that it leads to, kind of like what you've been saying. I'm like, ah, there wasn't a lot of groundwork for this. Like, it kind of, like, one conversation with Baltar, a conversation or two with Cabot, and seeing the guy in the jail cell, and like, whoop, now Chief is like turned around, and he's just like, I'm gonna go do this now, this like pretty drastic action that I know could bring down horrible consequences on me. I'm like, ooh, that's a that's a pretty big ask for a guy who knows the lay of the land. It is a character um, that you would see doing it, though, because he's always very protective of the deck. Oh, for sure. You, you could yeah. see him being sympathetic. Definitely, yeah. And yeah. I mean, it's the thing. Like, I, I like everything that happens in this conversation. Like, I like the way the fucking how Chief comes shit. in. What's that? The accent stuff was so cool. That was. He, he turns into such a chimney sweep, though. <laughs> I guess yeah. that's the Errolin accent. Oh, we just a bunch of Jason Statham chimney sweeps. <laughs> I like that he starts subverting the president immediately, though, by saying, "Oh, well, this proves he's an accomplished liar." Right? That's <laughs> that's manipulation. That's Gaius. That's the that's, that's the slippery dangerousness of the character, which is oh, totally. he 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 knows he's not stupid. You went down there and you want to talk to him. He knows exactly why. He oh, yeah. knows who you are. And he's going to play you like a fiddle, Chief. <laughs> and he does. With, I mean, and that's what's so what's so brilliant about him is that he is manipulative, but still uses the truth as well. Like, I mean, Rosalind did lie; she lied to him, and it made it sound like, oh yeah, they, you know, we intercepted those papers before your lawyer ever got them out. They you know, they're not being consumed by the people at all. And then when he's like, ah, so I read your stuff, and he's like, oh. So she is an accomplished liar. It is out in the world. And it's like, it casts a seed of doubt in his mind about Rosalyn, even though it is, it's the true thing. And that's what I was talking about earlier of Rosalyn doing this shit that she thinks is, you know, totally behind closed doors with Gaius and the way she treats him and talks to him. I'm like, this is still going to find its way out. Like these, you can't hide this shit. This will filter its way out either in the courtroom or through other people he's talking to. And here we go. He, he exposed one of her lies, which you, she might be able to make an argument for, but because he exposed the lie to chief chief is like, Oh shit. She sounds pretty fucking shady. Never let a good tragedy go to waste, Matthew. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Creeps. But he goes through it all, talking about how he was indeed an Erlen farm boy and ran to, you know, got away to Caprica, the seat of power, the seat of art and culture. That's where I wanted to be. I wanted to turn my back on my my family. And, you know, and this is, I got to imagine, he's writing his his book summary right here. Like, this is his mistakes. He turned Mm -hmm. his back on the common man. Now he wants to turn it back towards the common man yeah yep and he goes you know none of this matters they're all dead now and uh chief is like you do realize that none of that exists here and that's when he's like coming from the mouth of a mechanic we have kept democracy we've kept democracy we have government we have rights tyrell saying we have elections well then you should feel perfectly happy shouldn't you perfectly at ease go home live in peace I love that moment. Me That's because uh, he catches Chief so good with that. Because he's like, he's like, "Well, why are you talking to me? Why are you down here? Go home, then. You should be happy." And he's like, "Yeah, right. You're down here. You're down here talking to him. It's yep. on your mind." Yeah, man. Hey, man. At the end of the day, Gaius wants to win his trial more than anything. Oh, absolutely. He doesn't care about the common man, and that's what makes <laughs> no. him such a good foil. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, fuck, man. But he, I do, I love the little thing he closes with here. And this, to me, is the perfect example. And this is why I, I still really love this conversation of the the problem that Gaius raises at the end of their conversation 
when he's like, and this is the this is what I close my book with. I'll save you the time of having to read it. Will do you ever believe? Do you honestly believe that the the fleet will ever be commanded by anyone without the last name Adama? Uh, and and he just kind of leaves him with that. And the perfect problem with that is he's both right, but kind of for the wrong reason. Like he's right for the wrong reason. Of yeah, you're 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 more than likely right for the foreseeable future. This will be uh, an Adama led thing. This will be a family led thing. Now, and if you were in a a normal society of millions of people and multiple colonies and worlds, and and it, this would start to look like yeah, an aristocracy and and very you know, just kind of handing off positions to family members and friends and close close staff. And it just, all the power circulates in that same little group of people. And that looks pretty fucking shitty. But in this particular situation, well, how many other qualified high-ranking Indeed. officers are literally alive? Like, how many people are left? Like, the Adamas make up probably 30% of the fucking even possible brass, probably 40 or 50%, really, of who just has the basic military training and experience and leadership to do this at all. Um, and so, that's like, a great that, point. That, that's the quagmire here of he is right in a, in a normal society of, of millions of people. That's a very, very good question of like, mm, is power, I mean, how many presidents should have the same last name? Hmm, starts to look kind of weird over time. <laughs> but in this situation, you're like, well, but who else? Like how many other people have the actual, you know, we, we can't pull from a huge pool of qualified candidates who've seen combat, who've led entire, you know, uh, battle stars. What, what can we do? But sure makes for a good story to tell the people. It does. And that's a really good point. Yeah, that's a really good point when you start getting into the actual percentage of qualified people named Adama, and that's what you have to work with. Right, right. right. Absolutely. Good stuff. I like it a lot, kid. But, um, yeah, we have the accident. Oh, boy. They and get that's the- when, I do like the dramatic moment of the chief just shutting the shit down. It's pretty cool. <sighs> It looks pretty fucking cool. Just him fucking stone-faced marching down the line of all these dudes and just, that's it. it great the establishing shots of all these people's faces, too. Yeah. I mean, the amount that rough. they cheer, the amount that they erupt into cheer is just like, boy, this is a, this this should indicate to you that you have a fucking problem down here. Right, right. This is something not lost on any of them. This has been a long time coming. Yep. And that's when we finally see Starbuck and they're like, oh no, Cap's not doing anything. We're, this is orders. And she's like, what the fuck? And then of course, Chief gets arrested immediately. And he has a really intense conversation with Adama. Take me through this, Matthew. (laughs) Does he have a fucking conversation? (laughs) It's a mutiny. Hey, he held out real long, huh? 10 minutes. Huh? Chief held out for 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> We're on strike. All right, I'm in a jail cell. Okay, never mind. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Adama's pretty uh, unflexible right here. Uh, because you know he has to be. Yeah, yeah. He's like, you know what we do with mutineers? We shoot them, Chief. That's what we do. <laughs> <laughs> and this is Fuck. where we get into the, the, the improper blurring of civilian authority and military authority. The chief is 100% participating in a mutiny. He 100% is. Now, the Tilling people on strike, that's not a mutiny. That's a strike. That's a civilian organization. That is not right. a military organization. The military requires it. So they can, they can treat that how they will. They can create a fucking military dictatorship. They can declare martial law. 
They can then call it whatever they want to call it under whatever articles are that go into place based on whatever fucking bullshit they wrote however many years ago. But in the meantime, that Tillium refinery stopping is not mutiny. It is a strike. However, what the chief is doing is a mutiny. There is no way other, there's no other way to say it. Regardless of whether or not you put the cap in danger or, or, or whether it goes up or not or how safe we are is irrelevant. You told people to not do things that they are supposed to do Based off of the fucking, the way that the duty roster has been set up based on what you guys agreed when you had your little meeting with the XO and what you guys said you're going to do that day isn't getting done. You're shutting it down. You're a mutiner. You're you're Mm -hmm. dereliction of duty at minimum. It just dawned on me too. I think the reason that he would argue, that the chief would argue he's doing this is, it's kind of weird actually, but it just now made sense to me for the first time of that he would argue that because of the Tilium strike, well, now I'm going to order my, I'm going to basically try and override the orders of, of the Admiral and everybody else to try and preserve the Tilium they have. So it's kind of this weird, it's almost like a weird half measure he's trying to do of, well, they're on strike and I, I'm like, I'm kind of leading that strike, but I also, I'm going to reduce our flying, you know, our patrols, our missions because of the low amount of Tilium. But, but the problem but at the same is, time, it's still like, but you're still going strike. against the orders. You're, yeah, you started the strike, he, he and you're going the against the orders by doing that. Right, right. <clears throat> so, yeah. so, yeah, it's like a weird kind of like flimsy connection he makes there. It's not, it's not working. No. The Admiral's not having it. And uh, he goes right for the throat. Sure fucking does, real quick. Right? Which is like, like, I'm going to shoot Callie. <laughs> Put her against the bulkhead and shoot her for being a mutineer. Jesus, man. Jesus. Wow. You really painted a picture. He fucking God got damn. it. He, dude, he got Tyrrell to submit immediately. <laughs> That's it. Oh, man. Yeah. He, he, Tyrrell's like, you won't do this. We have a son. He's like, understand me. <laughs> For the survival <laughs> of this ship, I will shoot 10 cowboys. <laughs> yeah, like, I love So damn. fucking implacable. I love it. I love that Yikes. shit. That's awesome. And what, what is it? I mean, honestly, if, if what happens after this didn't happen, I would really be like, wow, Adama, Jesus Christ. I, it's, that's a pretty harsh thing to walk back from. And I'm like, I'm not sure. Oh, my faith in you is a little shaken. However, it really is this moment of I, as the military, I'm going to fucking force this to end now because the, the Tilium is a straight up unquestioned necessity and a priority. Like we have to have it. Like at this point, we cannot fucking delay it. domain. <laughs> right. It's like this just has to fucking You've happen. You've got to so build however, bypasses, mate. <laughs> <laughs> but like however this mutiny has to end, it's gotta end because the Tilium needs to start coming. That now that the the immediate mutiny and and you know, is quashed that the 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 rest of the the flights can go up okay, you guys can have your conversation with the president now. Like, or at least you can. Uh, like, he, he's not quashing the possibility of him having this talk. He's just like, this part of it has to stop. Right, which is the military part, which is what I respect about exactly. Obama here. Right, right. He's, he's Up closing until that, down. I was like, damn, dude, I'm starting to get a little worried. He's closing down the mutiny. And then whatever happens with the Tilium happens with the Tilium. And the only thing he does is he facilitates the discussion. So Adama does does offer something here. And he's also, one of the things I love about this is that he immediately releases Callie and he immediately lets Tyrrell out when Tyrrell capitulates. Right. He doesn't take it personally. He doesn't keep him in jail to punish him. He doesn't do any of that shit. He immediately lets him out and says, you get your, now you can have your conversation. So on the one hand, Tyrrell kind of got what he wanted by doing something extreme. And on the other hand, so did, so did Adama. 
<laughs> right. So it had to come to this. It had to, you know, it's the squeaky wheel gets the grease, so to speak. Right. Right. And that's, that's one of those things where it's like, you could argue that like, oh, well, this was extortion. This was mutiny. But at the end of the day, it did achieve what they were aiming for. It, it mm-hmm. did bring this conversation to a point where it can't be ignored. It has to become the priority conversation, at least. Yep. It was, it was extreme measures on both sides, which led them to the middle, which is where they should have been all along. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I like this conversation at the end with, a, with Rosalind. Me too. I do. Hmm. This is good shit. This is finally her fucking being reasonable. <laughs> yep. Yep. Cleaning, hauling, low-level maintenance, you know, low-tech jobs, things like that. There are all kinds of jobs that I think should be allocated to people who, you know, <laughs> like people like you, basically. <laughs> no offense, but Right. You're fucking dirty little, you're clean little perfect hands. Need mm-hmm. to be dirtied up. Yeah, and he's talking about like a rotation. Yeah, and this this is also this is one of those. And she those, immediately agrees to that, which I love. Yeah, yeah, and and I, this is one of those points where I'm like, in their particular situation of you know not this not being a normal society, not being normal conditions, sure. they are being pursued by an enemy. This is to me a very reasonable request because those types of jobs, the the low end, very like labor intensive jobs that still have to be done as much as any other high tech or like you know high brass military job, they all got to be done every single day. But those people are probably getting way less time off or relief. Or, or rotation than anybody, the, the lowest tier. And so it's like, well, we got to address that. We have to be able to start giving them the same kind of relief that they would get in a normal society, that they're not being pursued by. You know, Because we're all, there. we've seen that happen with the pilots. We've seen that happen with the military here of like, yes, these are crazy circumstances, but we'll still find a way to give you know people some R&R, some relief here and there. But it's kind of just not even considered for the, the, the people like in the Tillium refinery. And now he's basically, it's basically just been like, can we just finally consider a way of just thinking about how we could create a, a system for them of you don't have to do this for 18 hours a day, back to back to back to back to back endlessly. Like, let's just, let's address that. Sure. That's outrageous. And it's going to cause mistakes and casualties. Exactly. And you're going to interrupt production anyway. You're going to burn people out. They're going to be, they're going to be less productive for less amount of time. Like it's not going to yeah. work in the long run. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's inefficient. Mm-hmm. Also, um, I think back on episode 33, where they're attacked every 33 minutes, one of the first episodes. Oh, yeah. And remember when Starbuck was like, oh, I'm not going to take that pill. (laughs) And Lee's like, you have to take it. And she's like, why don't you grow some balls and tell me to stop being a bitch and to take the pill? Remember? Oh, God, I forgot about that. Yeah. Which is such a great example. Exactly. Which is such a great example of the difference between a military problem and a civilian problem. (laughs) (laughs) In a military problem, you have surrendered your autonomy as far as that kind of thing goes, and you are to follow orders. That's it. End of story. Yeah. Right. Whereas with this, again, again, it gets more true with the civilians. But, you know, the the union comes up, him representing their voices and just kind of being the go-between between the the, the, the workers and, and the political people and the in this entrenched political class and the and the sort of disenfranchised lower class, this is bad. She doesn't like this, obviously, right? I mean, this is a right. This this all makes sense to her now that they exactly. complain. Now that they complain, nice. And um, right. I really like this nice touch at the end with Starbuck because this oh, is the Star- little yeah. heart sub story we have with Celix. Indeed, I love it. I like Starbuck busting her balls in a cool way. 
<laughs> coming in hard. The most, like, the most complimentary my shitty thing. Nugget? She, yeah, the most complimentary thing she can do is to sort of, by way of being hard ass on this chick, let her know what she, what she is now the proud beneficiary of. Right, you're one of us. The wings. It's awesome. It's cool. Yeah. I like the end. It's awesome. <laughs> they all give her shitty it's salutes nice. at the end. All half-ass fucking dingbat salutes. <laughs> I need something a little more crisp, but that's fine. And uh, chief gives a good salute. The rest of them, nah, slop yeah. asses. Fucking knuckle draggers. They don't salute. They work. <laughs> don't look at him. Move. Move it. Move it. <laughs> and uh, Tyrell's like, be nice. <laughs> <laughs> She's good. And it's just a cute smile on Celix's face as she walks away, and we cut to the end credits. But yeah, man, it's cool. It's a cool ending. Yeah. No, it's good. I dig this fucking episode. I like it. It's a good episode. You got some listener comments? I do indeed. I saw you drum up a few at the zero hour. I appreciate that. I know. Bunch of lazies. Bunch of lazies. But no, they came through. They came through. Uh, Got one here from Mr. Callum Banbury. Not my favorite episode. Much like the woman king with Hilo, Adama's disregard for Chief's concerns feels pretty frustrating to listen to. Having just saved Callie and Tyrell from uh, sucking vacuum, it seems a little forced to have Adama in the very next episode threatening to shoot Callie over a strike. At least Rosalind did eventually mutiny, see the Callum, logic. Mutiny, Callum. Mutiny, goddammit. <laughs> the mutiny! It's about the principle of the matter. It's not personal. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I At love least you, Rosalind did eventually see the logic behind Chief's arguments, but even she took her damn time. Baltar's memoir also felt a little forced to me. The reference to Mein Kampf, I felt, lacked a little subtlety for BSG, but it does work in the setting, I think. If we'd seen more of Baltar in the previous episodes, getting bored out of his mind in his cell, maybe it would seem a little more believable that he'd start spouting propaganda, but without any buildup, I just thought it kind of came out of nowhere. Propaganda. These fucking, listen to these. You guys with your word tricks calling a fucking mutiny a strike. Now you're calling the wonderful musings of a brilliant man propaganda. Unbelievable. <laughs> I can't work with these comments. <laughs> They're Just all teased. fake. Fake comments. Fake. <laughs> Just teasing you, Callum. Awesome. Good stuff. All right. Shit. I got my, 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 my main man here, Scott Warboy Cummings. This was one of my favorite episodes to date. The argument that because a father was a profession, his son must follow that profession, and that's all he can be. The juxtaposition of overworked assembly workers versus the absolute need for the spice must flow. Hey, and keep the fleet fueled up. I enjoy the classism of this episode, and I can't wait to hear Matt's take on it. Very nice, very nice. I think you've heard plenty of Matt's take on it. Thank you, Scott, Scotty boy. Got from Mr. Michael Claudio. Fuck the man, let's go on strike. (laughs) <laughs> but for real, I enjoyed this episode. It makes you think. Rosalind, who at the end of the episode states that she wants to fight for what the human race stands for while she is in CBA negotiations with Chief, is the same person who immediately put someone in jail for quoting Baltar's book. In the end, I pull for both sides. As Scott Cummings said, uh, the spice must flow. It is imperative that the fleet has fuel. On the other hand, the conditions are beyond shitty and there needs to be a better way to operate and ensure the safety of the limited human race. Bing, bang, bang boom. That's it. Bada bing, right bang, boom. Yep. Good shit. That's good. That's the episode. Anything else you want to say about this before we go? 
Nah, uh, I mean, yeah, like I said, I'm already. Uh, this is another one I am high on. I'm very glad to get the uh, the check in on Baltar. And as much as I do, I very much see uh, Callum's point about this kind of comes out of nowhere. Like it's weird to have uh, Baltar reintroduced again after being gone for a couple of episodes. With he's got a book that's like already popular and it's out there in the world, and he's got these like very political ideas that kind of started to come out of nowhere. But like we've said, I think this is it is believable enough to me because it's very Baltar. It's very like he knows that his public trial is coming and he needs to have a public image that he's got to change. So how could you do that? This right here. Uh, I dig it. I dig that. Um, I like his thinking here of mixing in some like, yeah, this is some actual, there are some truths here. There are some, you know, divisions in the society that have been maintained from when the colonies were, you know, pre way before the attacks. And we've seen that with Zarek, him talking about the, the kind of conditions that his people had to go through. That's all still there. And it's just been kind of probably laying low and simmering down a little bit. And I think Baltar sees his opportunity. I'm like, okay, I can demagogue my way on in here to popularity again. We can do this. And save his ass from prosecution. Exactly. Yeah. So, dude, I, that is the part I'm really looking forward to. And I really, at the end, because, I mean, honestly, Adama and Rosalind, both this episode, had had me worried here and there of, like, shit, mm-hmm. are you guys just becoming fucking totalitarians? Like, what's up with this? Um, but at the end there, I was given a good bit more hope with, with Rosalind being like, yeah, this just makes sense, that we should we should have a union between all of the, the labor ships that are literally separate ships from us. It's not like these guys are, you know, in the lower decks of our ship and we're just ignoring them. They're on a whole different ship. We need to, uh, ways of communicating and making sure that we're addressing problems and everybody's on the same page and we know what's going on. You know, it should not take time for us to understand that the machines have had their pressure seals fucking removed. We should all we should have addressed problems before it got to this point, before people feel felt like they had to do that. Um, and that's cool. That that gives me a little more hope as far as the way they're, you know, administering this fucking fleet. So cool and, shit. and you know, and you know, Adama has the convenience of being able to be a totalitarian mm-hmm. ruler because he's in the military. That's, and he is. That's how it goes. <laughs> for those people who are in the military, within reason, of course, it's not dictatorial, but you know what I'm trying to say. Rosalind, you don't have that option. Right. If you are to represent this, like the premise of the show is you and Bill work together despite some of the differences you have. You represent the civilians. He represents the military. And, um, and yeah, you should always be thinking of how do you support the civilians. You should always be taking that angle and, and trying to devil's advocate that shit instead of you right. both ganging up on a fucking guy whose people are dropping because they, they work 20 hours a day. There you go. Yeah. Well, good episode. Um, I enjoyed it. I like it. And um, my my whatever... Whatever bugaboos I have, um, I'm sure we've discussed ad nauseum at this point. <laughs> so, Matthew, on August 19th, we'll be dropping our next episode, which is Maelstrom. And uh, what's crazy, man, is that uh, the deeper we get into this bad boy, man, the closer we get to it being over. I mean, so think crazy. about it. Maelstrom is the next episode, and then there are three left. One is a two-parter. Whoa. So after Maelstrom, we have two more recordings and we're done with season three. That's bizarre. Yep. We're so close. Yep. And then when we hit season four, we're, I believe, 20 episodes and that's that. Is that it for season four? Shit. Yeah. Cause a couple two-parters or at least that two-parter. But yeah, man, pretty intense. So thank you guys again for tuning in. We appreciate it. We, uh, We love that you guys listen. 
Uh, make sure you visit us on the web at LibertyStreetGeek.net. Um, check out our socials. Um, that's a term I picked up while uh, guest appearing on the Midnight Double Feature Podcast with uh, <laughs> Zoab and Colin. They say socials, those young whippersnappers. They got it all set up. <laughs> so, Matthew, what do you, tell, where can people follow you on your socials? Oh, what is my socials game again? Um, uh, on Twitter, it's at Matthew from LSG. And I am at Dean, I believe. I think I'm at Dean <laughs> underscore LSG Media. Correct. Dean underscore LSG Media. And then on Instagram, I'm just, I believe, at DLSG Media. See how good I am at this? We'll learn. So good. We got it. Nailed it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I'll Follow tell you right us. Um, yeah. Twitter, I'm D, uh, at Dean underscore LSG Media. Um, I probably use Twitter more than anything at this point, but I think I'm going to be kind of changing over more to uh, Instagram, to be perfectly frank. Mm. Yeah, I think I'm about doing a social media blackout for September. We'll see how that goes. I don't know. We'll see. With the exception of Instagram, but we'll see how that goes. But uh, yeah, follow us on us. You go to the website, you'll find all our shit. You know, we got a bunch of shows. Uh, Rate, review if you feel like it. It doesn't help as much as people think it does. In fact, it doesn't help at all. (laughs) <laughs> Other than it shows people that you have a lot of reviews. It doesn't matter if they review or not. <laughs> it's not true. not in terms of iTunes placement. It has no bearing on iTunes placement. Yeah. What right. does is the velocity of subscriptions you get over a certain amount of time. So if you are not subscribed to this, subscribe to it. If you know somebody who might want to listen to it, tell them to subscribe to it. A bunch of people subscribing is what moves us up in the rankings, which I don't really care about either. So... <laughs> <laughs> what I do care is that you listen, that you enjoy, and that you share it. That does matter to me. And, and leave us um, some comments. Yeah. Hell yeah. You can uh, you can do those on Facebook, which is, um, you know, facebook.com slash groups slash LSG on BSG. But if you just search Recommissioned, a Battlestar Galactic podcast, you'll find us. It's pretty simple. And uh, I think we've uh, said enough. So we are going to get out of here, and we'll catch you guys on the flip side. So say we all. <laughs>